Welcome. I'm glad you're joining us today. If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to the first epistle of the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. You'll find that in your New Testament. If you've gone to uh, 1 Timothy or 2 Thessalonians, you've gone too far. Uh, it follows uh, uh, after uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you'll, you'll run right into it. And so, 1 Thessalonians, we're going to begin a uh, many months long study on Paul's letter to the church at Thessaloniki. Uh, we're going to do, uh, beginning tonight, uh, the first, the introduction of uh, for 1 Thessalonians. And I think we'll have about 16 or 17 weeks here in this book, and then we'll move into 2 Thessalonians. So we should be here for uh, about the next half of the year as we go through it verse by verse, and I hope you will find it to be very encouraging. It is a very relevant book to us, especially in this time, in this day and age in which we're living. And so um, if you'll look with me here at 1 Thessalonians, the greeting is all we're going to cover today. Introduction to books of the Bible are, are not uh, always the most interesting uh, lessons to teach, but I, I've, I've, I hope that together we'll, we'll t uh, learn tonight that there's something to be said about this introduction, and, uh, and it'll be relative to us where we live in this day and age. And so Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A wonderful hope of the Christian is the promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. A promise that it was given when Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And then you also see it's a promise designed to motivate Christians to live holy and godly lives. And I want you to actually look at that passage with me over in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for the new heaven and the new earth, with righteous, where, the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him, in peace, without spot, and blameless. What a what a blessed hope. Uh, everything's going to be burned up except you and me. We're going to be in Christ and we're going to inherit a, a new heaven and a new earth. And so how should we live as we anticipate the Lord's return? Well, you know, this, is a, this question is addressed uh, in Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians. It's addressed right, right here. How, how should we live 
as we anticipate the Lord's return. I, I assume that I'm probably like you, even so, Lord, come, come now. Uh, I would not be at all disappointed if, if uh, during this broadcast the Lord appeared and took us home. That, that would be absolutely wonderful to me. But uh, in which every chapter has some mention of the Lord's return, here in, in this book uh, in which we find the practical instructions for holy and godly living. Um, I'm of a particular persuasion with many others, uh, many, many, many others that you know the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the way that we do that is holy living. And uh, that's not just looking at you know, sin in our life and developing a godly sorrow and repentance, but it is also walking in the power of the Spirit. We just finished a many-month series on the fruit of the Spirit between the flesh and the Spirit, the flesh and the Spirit, and, and the war that goes on, and which will you choose? And uh, I will tell you that it's one thing to just concentrate about your wrongdoing and, and trying to overcome it with your mind and with your flesh, as Paul says in Romans 8, that this law is working within him and his flesh, but in the mind of his spirit righteousness, what hope is there for a man such as me, he says, but praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. We, we're going to be in this battle until we go to glory, and that's one reason to look forward to the Lord's return. But in this book, particularly, Paul takes up the, the practical steps to holy living, which uh, for, for me and many others, we believe that is the chief end of, of what we're about, is, is, is to develop a holy character in uh, um, our walk before men and our walk before the Lord, as, as we learned in the study on self-control from Galatians chapter 5, uh, self-control has everything to do with being in harmony with the will of God. Uh, you're, you're, you're truly in self-control, uh, not, not just by uh, uh, not taking care of your baser instincts, so to speak, but by doing that which is in harmony with the will of God. And you say, well, how do we find that? By reading the Word of God, just massive reading, reading it, uh, listening to it over and over again. Uh, it, it's it's life-changing, it's fulfilling, it's, it's, just, it's just wonderful. And so here you have, you know, practical instruction for holy and godly living that we might be ready for the Lord's return. I, I know this, I don't know when He's coming, but He is. we're one day closer uh, than we were yesterday. And, and as we begin this series of messages here, uh, we're going to consider some background information of this epistle to get us on a good foundation and on the same page for all that's about to follow. So let's talk first of all about the author of this book. The author of the epistle is of course Paul. He is known formerly as Saul of Tarsus, uh, who was the uh, prosecutor and persecutor of the church. We read of his exploits in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 and over in verse 15 he became known as however the apostle to the Gentiles. And so uh, the author of half the book of the New Testament, if, if indeed he uh, wrote the book of Hebrews, half of our New Testament is written by 
the Apostle Paul. Incidentally, if, if uh, uh, he didn't write uh, the book of Hebrews, then the majority, the, the, the person that wrote the most uh, of the New Testament, not by virtue of, of, any, uh, of any, any of the single authors, was Paul. He, he makes the largest contribution to the New Testament. Um, he is joined by two characters as the in introduction of his very first sentence says by Silvanus and Timothy. Uh, you may not know who Silvanus is, but he is also known as Silas. And uh, Paul and Silas, we read about in Acts 15, originally an emissary from the apostle and uh, the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So he came from uh, Peter, James, and John. Uh, you can read about it in Acts 15, 22 through 27. And he is identified as a prophet who exhorted the brethren at Antioch in, in Acts chapter 15, verse, 20, uh, verse 32. He remained in Antioch later to become Paul's traveling companion in Acts 15, beginning in verse 34, following with 40 through 41. All of this you can read um, and, and you can see more about it. He suffered mistreatment and was imprisoned uh, with the Apostle Paul at Philippi. And that is one place I would like us to read about. So if you would take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, this is a wonderful passage of Scripture that teaches us uh, something that I think uh, is very applicable. Uh, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. It says, but when her master, let's see, I'm, let's see, I'm looking at Acts 16, and I want to make sure I'm looking at the right thing. Yeah, verse 16, Paul and Silas are imprisoned. Let's just start with verse 16. Now it happened as, as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by, by fortune telling. <clears throat> this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation, and this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to her, to the Spirit in her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he, and he came out of her that very hour, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrate and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. And so what happened is then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet and in stocks. Okay, we know what goes on after this that... Uh, uh, they're in there and, you know, there's a, they, they, they began to pray and to sing hymns. Um, that, that these two men were incredible brothers uh, in faith and in experience and in suffering. 
And at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake and you know the rest, the chains fell off, the door swung open and, or swung open and uh, the Philippian jailer was preparing to fall on his sword and instead Paul was entertained in the man's home and his home was converted to being followers of Jesus. And so uh, it's, it's an amazing story of what uh, Paul and Silas uh, did together and this is what is very significant. If you look over, if you're still in Acts, look at Acts chapter 17 and let me just read it to you and then I'll tell you why he is mentioned here in this text. Now when they had passed through uh, Am Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus who I preach to you is the Christ. And to them they would understand that to be the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So here's what's significant. It says in our, in our passage here, in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. The reason Paul mentions Silvanus is because Silas, or Silvanus, and Paul were the founders of the church at Thessalonica. So that's why that's there. Uh, that's what they did. Timothy is also known as Timotheus. Timotheus, he was a young disciple who traveled with Paul. Uh, we read about him in Acts 16. He is mentioned with Paul in many of his letters, including 2 Corinthians and Philippians. He is a recipient of two letters from Paul, the pastoral epistles, both 1 and 2 Timothy. And uh, we know that uh, in Hebrews chapter 13 that Timothy uh, suffered imprisonment uh, for preaching the gospel. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look over here with me and we'll see something else about him. Uh, chapter 3 it says, Therefore when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed for this. Now go down to verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. So here's something that else. Whereas Paul and Silas uh, founded the church at Thessalonica, uh, Timothy was sent there for a period of time to pastor that church to encourage them. And so the introduction of this letter is from the three most significant people outside of the Lord uh, to the Thessalonian church, Paul, S Silas, and Timothy. I think that's remarkable. And we can learn a lot about Timothy as well from his ministry. And, and perhaps when we're done with the Thessalonian epistles, we'll move into the pastoral epistles and study Timothy.
So these three men that are mentioned, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, have a vested interest. They have a vested interest in the welfare of the church at Thessalonica. And speaking of that church, now let's focus on it. Uh, we, we see who the author of the epistle is. It's Paul. He's joined by Silvanus and Timothy. So let's look now at the recipient of the letter. The recipients of the epistle is right here. It says, To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Soon I'm going to be sharing a message about using the term in God or in Christ, being a man in Christ or a people in God as to what is, mean, what is meant by that. In this specific instance, he's, he's speaking to the church, the, the, the true church that is seen of God, the invisible church, the church triumphant, the magnificent church uh, that belongs to Jesus, the bridegroom, or the bride rather of the bridegroom, those that are the true believers, they are the ones in God, in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, notice he doesn't say um, to the Christians at Thessalonia, uh, 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 of the Thessalonians or the Christians at Thessalonica. He says to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the city of of uh, Thessalonica or Thessalonia. It, it was the capital and the largest city of the Roman province in Macedonia at that time. It is located on the Ignatian Way, a major road from Rome to the eastern provinces. And in fact, the city served as a center of trade and commerce. So it's a very metropolitan place. It's a very eclectic place. They would have lots of cultures intermingled there as well as, as uh, 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 different um, ethnic groups that would have been there and all the trappings that come with that. Today it is known as uh, Thessaloniki. Uh, you can uh, go there today in Greece and it's called Thessaloniki. It was also known as Salonika. S-A-L-O-N-I-C-A, -A, Salonica. But like if you were to book a trip today and go in the steps of Paul, you would most likely begin your trip in Thessaloniki. Um, and, and you would move uh, through his, uh, his, his journeys uh, eventually to Rome. And so the church of the Thessalonians, it, it is a, its establishment is recorded in Acts chapter 17. And uh, I'd like you to look at that with me. Acts chapter 17. And beginning in verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through... and I'm sorry, I'm having such a hard time with this word. Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Of course, we read this. And then Paul, as was his custom, went to them and for three Sabbath reason with them, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again. This Jesus whom he preached to you is the Christ. And some were persuaded and we saw all of this. Now you go to verse 5. 
It says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out of, out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decree of Caesar, saying that there is another king, his name is Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, so that when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And so they had to basically bail them out, bribe them out. So that right, what you have though here in Acts 17, 1 through 9, it, it may not be uh, clear in and of its own without understanding the first Thessalonian epistle, but this is the actual birth of the church at Thessaloniki, or at Thessalonica, or Thessalonia, or Salonica, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this, this church was uh, established on Paul's second journey, and uh, his he and his companions had just left Philippi. Um, they're traveling through uh, uh, Am. Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they have now arrived at Thessalonica. And uh, Paul immediately located the synagogue there, and he began to teach. And using the scripture, he showed over the course of three weeks who the Christ was. And uh, though many believed the gospel that he shared, including many women, believed, and yet there were some Jews who uh, did not believe. It, it caused a great disturbance, an uproar of the city, and it forced Paul to leave. And despite such an ominous beginning as we read here in Acts 17, a strong church was established. And I must tell you, it is one of the strongest churches that was established in that time, especially when you look at the second epistle to the Thessalonians. Um, it, it gained a tremendously good reputation. As it says down here in verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has, your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. What, a, what an amazing testimony. Uh, so here's a church that was birthed out of great pain. I know that in the modern day there are many newer churches that have been birthed in a similar way. Um, they, the, they perhaps may have had a new minister come in and, and begin to be a man, uh, certainly not a perfect man as, as there is not one, uh, but a preacher of the Word who came in with a biblical worldview and began to preach the Bible unapologetically. And, and as, as the religious folk did here in, in Acts, it happens in some of these churches as well. It causes an uproar. They, they turn the place over. Uh, they severance that pastor, which is the security. They run him off and many others go and a new church is founded. Uh, this, is, uh, this would be the history of, of, of the church in the last century. Uh, and even now, as, as you know, we have so many churches uh, across just not alone our country, but across the world where the Word of God has been brought in and has been 
preached with truth and with love, and it, it's turned the place upside down. Um, ominous beginnings like the Thessalonians church brought about a tremendous testimony that, that Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, they didn't even have to brag or boast about the church at Thessalonica. It, it, uh, it, 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 it could testify of itself, of its good deeds and its good works. So it, as we learn in verse 9 of, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, For they themselves declare concerning us what matter of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Do you know what this church was made up of? This church was made up of Gentiles. These were people that were pagans. Uh, they were not, they were not God-fearers. These were not people that knew the Jewish traditions. Uh, these people were just rank and file pagans. They were idol worshipers. And the, and the gospel, as the Bible says, it's the power of God unto salvation. That's what took place here. And so it was made up mostly of, of Gentiles. We know that one of their, one of the names of the men there was Jason. He housed the church in Acts 17, verse 9, we've read about. But also when you read in Acts 20, there's a couple other characters that are mentioned, and they're also mentioned in other places in the New Testament, and that's uh, Aristarchus and Secundus. And so that's Acts 20 verse 4. So these are, these are Gentiles that have become followers of the way. They are men and women in Christ Jesus whom God has called to believe. And so you have the recipient of the, the epistles, the, the city of Thessalonica and the church of the Thessalonians. And the reputation of the church is even more remarkable when you consider how young it was the young age of the church becomes apparent when we consider number three, the place and the date of the writing of this epistle. The place and the date of the writing concerning the place, the letter itself indicates that it was not written long after Paul's departure. Paul had only been gone a short time. Look over in chapter 2 with me. In chapter 2 verses 17 and 18 it says, But we brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time and in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire, therefore wanted, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. And he sent Timothy from Athens, who had returned over here in chapter 3, 1 through 6, which I have already read to you. So Timothy comes and literally pastors them. We know in another place where Timothy has been sent um, to go and establish elders uh, in these churches. And, and so uh, Timothy has, has come. This letter is, has been written during Paul's brief departure from them. But we also know from Luke, from Dr. Luke, in his record in Acts, it is evident that Paul wrote this epistle soon after arriving in Corinth. When he got to Corinth on his second missionary journey, uh, he didn't stay long in Athens, and you can read about it in Acts 17, verses 16 through Acts 18, verse 1. That's where you see Paul writing this letter uh, to this epistle to the Thessalonians. And then Timothy came back from Macedonia after Paul arrived in, in Corinth, backing up yet again what is here in this letter in Acts 18, verse 5. So the place of writing where the letter was written was most likely in Corinth. 
Now, as to the date, we know the place of the writing. Now, let's talk about the date of the writing. The writing was soon after his arrival in Corinth. And so this would be the place sometime around 50 to 52 uh, A.D. 50 to 52 A.D. So Paul is, in, is literally in probably the last decade of his life uh, when he, he wrote this. He, he may be in the last, uh, at the most, the last 18 years of his life. Uh, so this would make uh, Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church, oddly enough, one of his earliest known writings. If not, now listen to this, catch this, if not his first one. It, it, some scholars believe, in fact, his letter to the church at Thessalonica was his very first letter. So, you know, I, I, it's a special book. I mean, all of this I'm giving you over and over again, I know it's laborious. Uh, like I said from the beginning, some, some folks just get so excited to introduce a, a new book. Um, in, in the course of 20 years of preaching, it, it's still hard for me to introduce a new book. I like to, I like to draw the application out of it, and uh, I, I'm so grateful that, that uh, we're almost through. Uh, with it, but here's where we can kind of now apply what we've learned so far uh, in this last portion. We see the author of the epistle, we see the recipient of the epistle, we see the place and the date of the writing of the epistle, and now let us look at the purpose and the content of the epistle. So this is kind of where the rubber will hit the road and the water will hit the wheel. This is what the letter's purpose is. This is why it is written. And, and this is the exciting part because this is, we first of all, we see how the Spirit of God moves in the Apostle Paul, writing this wonderful church of faith that, as you're going to learn as we study, has suffered greatly, has suffered mightily, and yet they have remained faithful and true uh, as men and women in Christ Jesus. And so there's so much encouragement for us. And so just as to give you just a foretaste of what's happening, the purpose is that Paul had been anxious about the condition of the church, and it is occasioned by his abrupt departure. Now we read back over here in Acts chapter 17 through verse 9. I want you to look at verse 10. Acts 17, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And so what has happened? They were preaching Christ at Thessalonica, right there in Acts 17. The church is established. They're staying in the home of this man named Jason who becomes a follower of the way, a man that God has called to believe through the preaching of the gospel. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This was taking place. Uh, they, they want, there's this great uproar that has taken place in the city. Uh, Jason is taken into custody. He's gotten out of custody. He's sent back home, probably has been taught a lesson that he wouldn't soon forget. And the brethren 
Now, who would the brethren be? These are the people that have become followers of Jesus because of their ministry. Okay, because there's only two believers that went there, Paul and Silas. Now there are brethren. And so the brethren immediately, notice the adverb, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And so the occasion of, of this is an abrupt departure. And he wanted to return. His heart was to return. He wanted to come back and see how they were doing. He says over here in in uh, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians in verse 17 and 18, look what he says. But we brethren, these would be the same brethren that made sure he got out of town. But we brethren having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan has hindered us. We're going to talk about that hindering uh, in many weeks ahead to really understand what that means. Uh, and then, you know, his, his anxiety prompted him to send Timothy to encourage them. And, and I want to apologize for using that word anxiety. Um, I know the word anxiety communicates to you and I. He was eager. Uh, he, he was, he was perhaps worried, but we know that this is antithetical and anti-biblical to, uh, to Scripture. I mean, we're, the Bible tells us clearly in the Philippian letter to be anxious for nothing. So I'm sorry that my vocabulary isn't great enough that I use the word anxiety. Those of you that have listened to my preaching over the years know that uh, we, just, we just don't do anxiety and worry. That's just, uh, that's just not what we do. The Scripture tells us not to do it, and if the Scripture says it, if, the, if God says it, that settles it. Uh, but look right here at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother, and minister, and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed for this. Now, I guess I should have said when they just couldn't take it anymore that they weren't with them. They just had to see them. But they've been hindered by, by Satan. Satan in, in Hebrew, ha-setan, means stumbling block. So they couldn't get back. And so they sent this young pastor, Timothy, to them to encourage them in the faith. Timothy had brought back good news, as we've already read in verses 6 through 8, that they were, uh, they were just uh, people that uh, uh, were just doing so well. He says, but now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress, we're comforted concerning and concerning your you by your faith for now we live and if you stand fast in the Lord and uh, what thanks we can remember of God for you for all the joy by which we rejoice for your sake before God night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your faith what a what a blessing it you know 
that we all have friends, I hope we all have friends, that, that, that feel so warmly about us that they can't wait to see us and we feel so warmly about them that we can't wait to see them. This truly is the case here in this letter uh, to uh, this founding pastor, this apostle rather, uh, to this church that, that he founded with Silas. And so their faith and love and their desire to see Paul and their, their steadfast faithfulness was of a great comfort to Paul. And from the context of the letter, it becomes apparent that Paul had a threefold purpose in mind as he wrote the letter. And so if you want to just kind of see where we're going to go, because this is what we're going to study, uh, he wanted to praise them for their steadfastness under persecution. I was just watching a sermon uh, earlier this morning by the uh, uh, great Reverend Dr. Billy Graham. And it is only was about a minute long what Dr. Graham was saying in one of his magnificent crusades. And he was, he was speaking on Habakkuk, who was asking God, what in the world are you doing? And uh, God replies to Habakkuk, he says, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. And Habakkuk says, well, why won't you tell me? He said, because if you knew what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe what I'm doing. We're living in a day and age right now that folks are wondering, is God doing anything right now? Oh, dear friend, He is doing something. He's doing something so great. We don't have to put our trust in Washington. We don't, we don't have to put our trust in our elected officials. We don't, we don't have to put our, our trust in, in, in our money. We don't have to put our trust in ourselves because one thing is for sure, no matter what, those in Christ Jesus, He will never, ever be lost. We, he will never lose any one of us. He has us in His hand. And what a great consolation that is. Paul praises them for their steadfastness under persecution. They knew what Billy Graham was preaching 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. They knew in their heart. He wanted to instruct them concerning holy living and last of all to correct any misunderstanding, especially regarding the second coming of Christ. So what did he want to do? He wanted to encourage. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to instruct and he wanted to correct or admonish. And so what is the content? The content of this epistle is unique in that every chapter ends with a reference to the second coming. Now this makes this epistle significantly different from all the other epistles that Paul writes. Every chapter ends in 1 Thessalonians with a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And here is a brief outline of the epistle for you before I give you the conclusion. In chapters 1 through 3, you have Paul's personal reflections. Paul's personal reflections regarding their condition, regarding their conduct, and regarding their concerns. That's kind of how we're going to attack the book in our study, in our method of study. And then in chapters 4 and 5, you have his apostolic instruction. He tells them to walk in holiness, 
to walk in love, to walk in diligence, to walk in hope, to walk in life, and, I'm sorry, light, and to walk in obedience. Six things. Walk in holiness, walk in love, walk in diligence, walk in hope, walk in life, and walk in obedience. In conclusion, with such an emphasis on steadfastness and holy living, an appropriate theme for this epistle could be holiness in view of the coming of Christ Jesus. Holiness in view of the coming of Christ Jesus. And in keeping with such a theme, I offer the following passage as a key verse of this epistle. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. He says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. As we proceed through the epistle, it will be my prayer and aim to study, to do our study, that is, to lead to greater faithfulness and holiness in our service to God as we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I close with a couple of questions. Are you ready for His coming? Are you ready? Uh, even if you should die before He returns, are you ready to see Him face to face? Are you ready to look into His eyes? Are you in a spiritual place where you're prepared to see Jesus? Will you see Him as your Savior or will you see Him as your judge? Um... Let the apostles of Christ tell you what you should need to be ready for in that day. And it's simply this. He's coming back. And we need to be ready. You can read all about it in Acts 2, 36-38. In Acts 17, 30-31. He is coming back. And we need to be ready. We need to show ourselves workmen and workwomen approved. We need to show that in fact we are in Christ having been called of God to believe. Only then can, we can it truly be said to us as he says in the third clause of chapter 1 verse 1, Therefore grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a great day and grace to you.